Welcome to For the Record, an unfiltered view on current trends and timeless advice for surviving in the aesthetics industry. Whether you're an injector, practice owner, sales rep, or marketer, it's time to set the record straight. Each week, we cut through the chaos and showcase diverse perspectives and winning ideas from the best minds in the industry. I'm your host, Dr. Tiffany Hall, Chief Growth Officer at Aesthetic Record. Now, let's get started on this week's episode. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of For the Record. We're here in season 30 and episode 45, and today we have on a dear, dear friend of mine, a sexual wellness expert, an incredible injector, a great business owner, and just one of the most amazing people you'll ever meet in your entire life. We have with us today Dr. Joelle Lehman, who is an historically an OBGYN, but now she's become a badass boss babe injector, business owner, and has made it to the dark side of aesthetics. So she's over here with us now in our corner. And we have her here today. Welcome to our show, Dr. Lehman. And we want to hear all about you, what you've been doing, and kind of really peel back the layers of you as an injector, a business owner, a mom, a wife, a great friend, all the things that make you who you are, your tapestry, if you will. So welcome today to our show. Thank you so much. First of all, that was just lovely. Um, and best of all, just to be called your dear friend makes me happier than anything else. Um, yes, I am an OBGYN and it's funny. People always ask how you transition from, you know, some people call it real medicine. And I find that super offensive now because having been in this field for a decade, um, I do believe this is real medicine too. Um, we see how important it is to make people feel better, both externally, which often resonates internally. So I feel like it's kind of been a natural transition. Um, I practice uh, OBGYN in the Boston area for oof, almost 20 years between residency and being here. And um, like I said, I'm often asked, how did you transition into the field of aesthetics? And it was kind of easy. I mean, I'm a woman, I was getting older. Um, patients asked me, do I know anything about, let's say Botox or any injection? So I looked upon getting certified and that part was really easy. The hard part was growing with it and learning kind of, you know, physically I have the hands to do it. It's not hard, but it really is hard and difficult to perfect it. And that's what I've learned over the years. So that's been a great journey. Um, I would say probably seven years ago, um, people were coming to me about body contouring devices being an OB because they felt like, well, this is a perfect doctor to go after um, women having babies, going through menopause. We definitely transition into times where our body changes quite rapidly. And um, I really wanted to buy the cool sculpting device. And that's when I thought to myself or said to my husband, do you think I should open a med spa? And that was it. Um, I opened the med spa in 2015. And so seven years later, I'm running my second one, which we um, grew enormously. It was small. It was about a thousand square feet. And now we have a 4,000 square foot um, med spa and wellness center. And that was all kind of based on having body contouring 
um, and injectables. Did I just have a long-winded answer to kind of your intro? <laughs> no, it's perfect. So you have Elite Med Spa and Wellness Center, and you're in the Boston area. I think you're actually in Needham, if I have that correct, but it's Boston for all of you who are like me and don't know about the burbs. So you're in a very heavily competitive area. You're First of all, I'm sure it's freezing-ass cold there right now, so bless your it heart. It is freezing. Freezing. <laughs> it's cold in Texas right now. But I think that you've done you know, what people want to do, right? The transition of going from one specialty to another specialty and kind of starting in a sense over, I mean, not entirely, but in a sense over with a whole new business model. So at what point, just to kind of peel that back, at what point did you say to yourself, like I've delivered a million babies, I've done surgery and deliveries and all these things for, you know, 15, whatever years I'm done here. Like what was the, the day that you walked in and said, you know what, this is my last day, lock the office and get out of here. Well, honestly, Tiff, it didn't really work like that for me. I didn't know that I was done. I I really feel like everything I do, I'm not as, I hate to say this, I'm not as thoughtful and planning. So I didn't go home and say, I'm quitting and I'm starting something new and I need a business model. It was just almost like, okay, let me just try this. And I was continuing to do, I had to stop doing major surgery and that was mostly just malpractice insurance. It didn't make sense. I wasn't able to really follow through with those patients the way I want to, but I peeled it back little by little until I was really ready. And I think there was a monkey on my back, so to speak of like, how do I give up this really, I mean, it's a major sacrifice to sacrifice 12 years of your life for training and then think, okay, I'm going to give it up and inject Botox every day. That's not really what happened. So um, it was a slow transition. The, the overnight thinking was very much like, can I do, can I afford to do this? Cause I'm, you know, signing a lease, which I have never done outside of my uh, home um, and start business. And I didn't know if I was going to be profitable. I, I had no idea how it was going to work. But as I was more and more profitable, and I realized it became more of my everyday, I was able to step away and also have the security that I was doing something that I really believed in and was still medicine. Because I do think there were many of my peers that were like, oh, Joelle Lehman sold out. And I now they're like, no, she was the smart one, because they're killing themselves taking call all night and being exhausted. Um, so it really was more of a natural transition to the time where I realized my time wasn't worth going to the clinic anymore. It really felt like it was volunteer work. Um, and while that transition happened, I was lucky enough that sexual wellness became such a huge part of aesthetics. And I felt like I started doing gynecology in my aesthetic practice. And I felt very satisfied that I was doing something that I do in my clinic but yet I'm doing it in my spa office, so to speak. So I think the natural transition kind of enabled me to finally say, okay, I'm really done with, with women's health in that aspect. But I still feel like I definitely take part in women's health, health in the aesthetic world. So it's been a really, really satisfying full circle for me. Well, it's interesting. I have a couple of things on that because I just gave a talk um, at an event in California and I talked a lot about sexual wellness and like the future of aesthetics becoming more about patient wellness as a, as a continuum and not just like, to your point, Botox or filler. And mm -hmm. I really talked a lot about sexual wellness because I feel like for females, just like we have babies, right? So your, your prior lifetime, we have to have a baby. We have to have sex to have a baby, right? It kind of all fits together. But I think it's a huge opportunity for us in the med spa world. But to that point, thinking about, you know, can 
other folks do the same thing that you do? Because you are an expert in that. You've spent your whole life, professional life doing it. How likely is it that someone can come off the street and say, I'm going to be as good as or understand as much to at least offer what you're offering and be profitable in that in their med spa? Um, Maybe that's a loaded question. I don't know, but (laughs) give it a word. No, I I actually think it's a great question because as you know, I've spoken at Aesthetic Next. So, you know, I'm a national speaker for, for the world of sexual wellness. And I think like anything we do, you have, and I, you know, let me back up a second. When I was training residents and training medical students, medical students are always like, I don't know what kind of field to go in. How do you decide? I would say the same thing in aesthetics. My answer is always pick what you're good at, because when you're good at something, you have a different level of confidence and confidence is key because we've all met the people that are overconfident and it's a little scary. And I don't do things like, you know, people, it took me forever to inject the nose because it just felt like it was a very scary area. And I didn't know enough about facial anatomy and you should not, and no one should do something they're not good at. So I say the same thing. One, it's training. And, you know, I can plug my own academy here. I do, I have Elite Academy and I'm doing trainings. Um, They're great one-on-one. I don't really think someone's going to be as knowledgeable as I am because they're not gynecologists. But listen, I've been doing P-shots. I didn't do a residency in urology. So I had to teach myself my way around the male organ. Um, insert joke where you'd like to there. So um, I think that truly it's about training and we, you know, we can talk a lot about these meetings. There's so many meetings to go to, but having adequate training, building up your confidence, knowing how to talk to your patient. And also when you get into trouble, reach out. I think that's really important in this field that have somebody that you can call a mentor and have some, listen, there's always aberrant types of anatomy and we all have questions for people that are more expert in that area than we are. And I think that's where, I think anybody can do it, but they need the adequate training and confidence. Yeah, I often wonder, you know, when I think about sexual wellness, not to dwell on that, but because you are the expert, you know, I think that you are. I think that you and Stephen Soar are like the best dynamic duo on planet earth. He's all about the men, you're all about the females is that it's about talking to your patient. And so I think I meet people all the time, as you know, in this industry, and they're just like, there's no way in hell I'm talking about an orgasm in my clinic. Or I'm going to talk about, you know, someone's labia needing to be redone or just about, you know, their sensation during any of these things. Like, that's not even going to happen here. How would you even put that on a billboard? You know, how would you market that? I think because you've come from that world already, there is no... Um, the word is not embarrassment. That's not the right word, but you know, it doesn't feel awkward to you. You can talk about it. I've been with you. You talk about it very openly. It's like not a big deal, which I think is fabulous. How do you get past that though? Like when you hire a nurse into your clinic or a PA into your clinic, I know you have a few that work for you now. How do you get them caught up to be as comfortable with it as you are of like just rolling off the tongue? Hey, how's your orgasms going? You're like, how do you, how do you get them there? Yeah, I think, I think part of that is being a gynecologist, but also if you think of all the different doctors people have seen and you yourself would see versus an internist versus a gynecologist, we are the one that I think you become so comfortable with. So yes, I do embody that. It's very easy for me to ask people about their physical health, their sexual health, their emotional health. And I'm not a therapist, but let me tell you, as an aesthetic provider, you become a therapist, right? How many people have cried after or cried before when they're looking at themselves? And I think um, when you think about it more in that medical sense of treating them, you know, people, let's say like my nurse and my um, PA, they, they just 
kind of listen to what I did. And I think that's really helpful in my training because I offer not only how to physically do these procedures, but how to ask those right questions and what questions will lead you to understanding where they are. Um, we had a couple tricks to try to get our patients as comfortable as I am. And one of them was I used to leave a little survey at the front desk that said, are you interested in sexual wellness? And check here if you suffer from stress incontinence and leaking urine, um, poor orgasm, hot flashes here, there, like just a way that they didn't have to have that conversation with our front desk. But I also had to train our front desk patient care coordinator because she has to have the conversation on the phone, right? People are calling because they've looked up O shot or P shot in the Boston area and I come up and she has to have that conversation. So I think just making, putting everyone on the same page in the same way people ask, you know, about butt injection, you know, you have to get comfortable with what that feels like. It is just part of what we do. And we are trying to make people feel better about themselves internally and externally. It all is full circle. Absolutely. But, you know, like I know you quite well. We spent a lot of time together. Um, well, two things. First of all, from a training perspective, I met you, I don't know how many years ago it was, six years ago with Gain. It's, it's been a hot minute or two. And you were a new trainer that year. I met you and I just fell in love with you. And years later, I came back and said, you have to be anesthetic next. Like, I just thought you were the best ever and still do. And so I know that from a training perspective, you've had a lot of experience training. You're very, very, very good at it. I've heard phenomenal things about you. So from the academy perspective, going to that first when did you make the decision to do that? Because that's a whole different business unit. That's a whole different profit and loss center. And as you and I both know, it's a headache to build content and curriculum. And, and, you know, do I do CMEs? Do I not do CMEs? When did you decide that you're ready to do that? Because I feel like in this particular area, this the sexual wellness part of it, you're one of the only people I know who's doing it in a med spa setting and teaching you how to do it in this environment, not like in your own, you know, men's clinic somewhere. So how did that all come about for you? Um, I think that everything that comes about for me, I wish I could say that there's a recipe. I think I just get ideas and I'm really willing to, I hate to say the word fail, but I'm really willing to try things and have them not work because what's the worst thing that can happen? So part of the answer is I've had a lot of requests over the years as I've gone I was very, very flattered that Galderma, you know, as like kind of a newer trainer came to me and said, hey, would you consider being a game trainer? And I'm like, oh, I just taught myself this. I don't know that I can teach other people. But I think that really helps build confidence, too, because you always get feedback of, you know, I listen, you as a as an OBGYN, you train as part of your training right? Either you're training your peers or your junior residents or medical students. So teaching has always been a part of my life and learning has been a bigger part of my life. So I think it just, again, is that next evolution in what I'm doing. So maybe the transition of having people call in, which is what is happening truly of, are you doing any trainings for a new injector or nurses? Are you doing trainings for um, OBGYN stuff like sexual wellness, et cetera. And it just made me think, well, why aren't I? Because I should, I like it. I love teaching and we have this beautiful facility. So we have the room. Um, so that was kind of that transition and, you know, it's kind of just beginning. So we'll see how it goes, but I'm always willing, you know, the, everybody makes mistakes in this field, right? Either you buy a device that's not working for you, or you don't like the device, or you just have to learn, like every, you learn from everything. So you made a mistake. Okay, next. Thank you, next, right? Just keep moving. So 
I don't, I also think as I transition and get older, like what, and I have new injectors that are injecting for me now. So where do I want to be next? Do I want to be training people? So we're trying something new. I love it. The building the content is really hard to get all of your thoughts on pretty slides. Um, but we're really excited about Elite Academy. I think it'll be the next transition into my next phase. Well, I think that brings up such a good or valid part of training is you have to build the slides. Like people forget about that part. You have to have a structure to your classes. You have to have learning objectives. You have to have, you know, the modules all done. And will they matriculate from a beginner to an advanced course? And, you know, just putting in a, an academy or a training institution fly by night just doesn't work. Or it might in the beginning, the people decide not to rebuy from you or tell their friends, hey, it was kind of a disaster, kind of all over the place. Don't do it. So it's a lot at stake, especially if you're an injector who is a trainer already for like Galderma, Allergan, you already have a reputation out there. You've got to live up to that. But on top of that, I think about you and these conversations and about just sexual wellness and really about your vibe. Like you're, as, as we say, you're part of my tribe for sure. And one reason for that is because you're just a very open person. You're like, you have a very chill vibe about you. I feel like I can come to you and tell you, hey, I killed someone. Let's go bury the body. You'd be like, okay, well, you know, probably had a bad day. I get, you know, you're just, you just kind of vibe with me, you know, with, with everyone. And I think that's part of your magic with what you're doing with the sexual wellness part is that you feel as a person coming to you very um, eager to be open with you and to, and to kind of tell you all the troubles and you just help and you listen and you're just great at that thing. But we have lots of med spas who aren't that way, right? They're like factories and they're all about the look amazing, be an influencer, look so, you know, look so beautiful. How did you decide that? How did you make, or how do you make your DNA of your entire practice feel like you feel? How do you teach that or instill that in your people? Or do you hire people who are like you? Like, how do you create that persona? Because I think elite, even on the outside looking in, it just, it feels that way, even with your branding, everything about it feels like you. Um, I, I think it really is a reflection on me, but not me as my name. I thought it was really important when I built this, that it wasn't just me because it takes a lot more than just me to keep this thing running. Um, and also I want an exit plan at some point. So I wanted to build, uh, an experience and from day one, I mean, our first, even though it was really small, it was super luxury and I do like my luxury, um, I wanted it to feel like the Ritz, you know, you're going, I don't want it to feel like a clinic. I've worked in a clinic for 20 years. They're sterile. They're awful. Those stirrups are awful. So from every experience that they had coming in, the importance of that kind of luxury treatment, that white glove experience, um, probably my background actually in gynecology helped with that because, you know, we're, it is a service industry. You know, you you call your, especially in the U S because I'm Canadian, we can get into that. But you have your your phone, your doc's phone number on your, I mean, you have all access. And I wanted that experience also. So the spa experience for me had to be completely medical looking and feeling in the way that you trusted where you were. It's not somebody's house that we're injecting you during a Botox party or whatnot. And also you had this level of um, professionalism as well as this family experience. So listen, I've had staff come and go, not that many, I've had the same people for a long time, but we really have a very family feel here. When patients, we know somebody passed away in their life, we send them flowers. Like we are really, we really, really, and this sounds trite, especially during a podcast, but we really do care about these people. 
And I think that's the feel you get here. So you get that luxury, you get that white glove experience, you have complete professionalism with the people that are treating you, and then you have a family experience. So I think those are the types of, of staff that always are looking to work with me because they like that. They want that type of um, environment. And I think, too, you're in a place that's, like, crazy competitive. I mean, Boston is, you know, it's like Dallas here. There's a med spa everywhere in Dallas. But, you know, Boston, you guys have surgeons. People are, you know, doing this everywhere. How do you make that stand out from a marketing perspective? I think about this all the time, even with Aesthetic Record. How do I convey to my audience looking in on a single ad, a digital proof, an Instagram ad, who I am as a company or who we are as a company and get that to kind of pull through. So from like a busy injector clinic standpoint, how do you market that? Like how do you convey that message out with a click of a button and one, you know, immediate Instagram post? Yeah, I think that's probably the hardest thing in our field. And I think, and we've talked about this personally as well, that I think you can get really stuck on this. I, you know, I have three teenage boys, so I'm lucky that I don't hear a lot about the Instagram drama that my friends with girls do, but I think you can kind of get into your own head a lot when it comes to competition and we're all different. Listen, often I'll say to my patients, we're like hairdressers. You have, there's one on every block, find somebody that works for you. And if we don't, then go to somebody else. This is your face. So I think there's tons of competition. And if I get in my head and start thinking about it all, I think I'm going to go down a very dark hole. So the best thing for me is about um, two years ago, I hired an internal marketing person to take that whole, oh, I got to video this. Oh, I got to do this. Oh, I got to look beautiful. And I took that completely off the table and gave it to someone else who you know, lucky enough, we could hire somebody because not everyone has that budget. But that's helped me a lot because I don't think about it. I don't care if my hair is wet and I'm trying to describe something and she says, it doesn't matter, just say what you're saying because it sounds great. So I do think that's part of our platform. It has to be. But if you're just videoing constantly, um, and this isn't a social media talk because I am not a social media professional. But if you're just constantly showing what you're doing, where you are, and you're not making it look a certain way, they do have a sense of what your clinic looks like. What does your office look like? Because I'm talking on Instagram exactly the same way I'd be talking to anybody. Makeup or no makeup or whatever. It's not like a, you know, it's it's not all staged. And that way you really do get a real um, visualization exposure to what it is that we do. But I really do have to say, I don't have the answer to that. I just feel like I tell my kids this all the time. Stay in your lane. Do what's working for you because the only thing you can control in life is you. You can't control what other people are doing. And there's enough to go around is the truth, Tiffany. There really is. So if we all get up and in our heads about what so-and-so is doing, then we're never going to succeed in anything in life. Yeah. You know, I think about the Chicago girls all the time, like Danny and Rana and Brittany Crosdale, that whole group, they've done the opposite. They've all band together and said, we're mm -hmm. going to be this tribe of Chicago, Chicagoans, Chicagoans. I don't know what you call oh, yourself. That, I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? And they've just kind of decided that their own standard of care and, you know, how they're going to operate as a group, which I love because to that point, there are so many wrinkles to go around. So many of us, whether it's sexual wellness or body contouring, whatever it is that we need, and they've kind of just made a pact. And I think about oftentimes people like you, because you are very much who you are all the time, is it looks so much different for someone on Instagram. Like I meet them in person. I'm like, are you sure that's you? Like, oh, your pictures yeah. are no longer, they're not filtered anymore. Like people always say filters. I, I don't even know how to filter. I have no clue how to filter anything. So if you're looking at my pictures, 
good luck with the filtering because I don't know how to do it. I look like an idiot. Like I have like weird, um, hyper like diluted looking face and kind of crazy stuff. But I just don't have the energy for it, frankly. But I think to the point of you as a person, your personal Instagram, you know, the one that has your name on it, it's your professional personal Instagram, is kind of one brand. Elite is another brand. Is your person managing both of those? Or are you managing your own named Instagram? Yeah. So um, my perf- my personal slash professional, and that's funny that you said that because Leslie Tracy and I were out for drinks the other night and I was telling her that sometimes it's hard for me because my kids make fun of what I put on because, you know, boys, they don't like the sexual wellness conversation. So I'm going to start a sexual wellness only Instagram, which is called the sexual wellness doc. Now, there is not one photo on there. I just took the name. So if anyone logs on, they're not going to see much. But that's going to be more educational and places that I can post and tell my kids, don't follow me if you don't want to see what I'm writing. That being said, my professional and personal is me. That's part of who I am. So they're both. Um, I manage it mostly, but then... Allison's our marketing director and she'll be like, Oh, I did a reel and she'll put it on. So, but that's me. I don't have a way to um, identify this part of me or that part of me. Like I, I am a solid evolution of it all. So I'm an OBGYN. I'm a mother. um, I'm a business owner. It's all me. So I don't know how to, and yes, a hockey mom, a diehard hockey mom. So how do you, you know, maybe, figure out which place to put things. The only thing I know is elite has its own elite Instagram. Um, but sometimes I'm on there too. So I try to not separate it all for me because that's just who I am. I'm all encompassing all of those things. Yeah. Well, I love that you said in the beginning of this, that you kind of kept yourself out of the main brand from like an exit strategy perspective, from a selling to practice later on. Which I think, by the way, if you've ever heard me talk, anyone in business, you know, sessions, it's genius. Don't ever put your name on the door. I think it's a terrible choice because you cannot exit. But to that point, how did you learn business? Like even hearing you talk about getting it all done and keeping it all straight and, you know, hiring a marketing person internally. Coming from a, a traditional OBGYN background, I'm sure you're working in a clinic with some of the, you know, a, a group practice. How did you decide to become a, a business person and learn those skills and learn them quite well, frankly, to even get here? Like, were you podcasting? Were you reading books? Were you just kind of, you know, learning as you go? What was the strategy there? I wish I could tell you I had a strategy. I was raised by a single parent and we were very, very close. Sadly, she's passed away, but was a an incredible businesswoman. And she learned on the fly. She didn't have a great education. Um, she was a fashion editor and turned out writing for our national newspaper. And she kind of just taught me to just keep going and try things. And I feel like I've kind of taught not to insult people that actually have an MBA, but I felt like I'd given myself one and I keep learning as I go. Um, my husband's a mathematician, very, very exciting. Um, so the one thing I don't love are the numbers and he'll ask me these questions. I'm like, hold on. So, you know, you have to hire people that are good at what you need. I have an incredible accountant to help me and she'll tell me, you know, you need to buy something big at the end of the year. You need to, and it's a little bit like trial by error for me. I wasn't great with, I'm going to have a business plan and if this works and that doesn't work, I just want to try things and I try them because I'm super, super passionate about life and it sounds fun and let me just give it a go. And I'm lucky enough that, you know, day one, we were profitable and so far we just keep expanding and 
Um, I just keep trying new things. And if it, you know, I just, I, I really want to underline if something doesn't work, it's not like this huge failure. It's kind of like, you know, going out for a drink with somebody you thought was going to be a good friend. And then you're like, eh, didn't really like her moving on or him, whatever, just move on, try something else. Um, so I wish I could tell you, I had like a cookbook recipe for trying or doing business, but I really don't. I've learned a lot as I've gone and I've made mistakes that I wouldn't repeat. Um, so I think that, it's not great advice, but because some people are just need more organization and, um, and I have exit strategies for when things aren't working, how long I'm going to let them look like this and, you know, small mistakes, just let go of, and I've gone through many different, um, external marketing things. Um, I've just tried a bunch of different methods until something's working. I love it. It's like fell fast and fell forward. I'm, I'm, I make mistakes every day here too. And I'm, you know, I beat myself up about it. I have all this regret and I try to think about that a lot. I'm just like, let it go and move on. Cause you can't tackle the next challenge if you're still weighed down by the one that you, you know, that you just finished. So I think that's great advice for anyone um, who's listening. But to that same point about b- being in business, you know, it's funny when I go out with all my girlfriends, you guys are all like influencers. You're all like, you know, your Instagrams have thousands and thousands of people who follow you. You're, you know, big names and I know that you have a celebrity clientele just because where you are in Boston. And I was at that meeting again this weekend in California last weekend with Ponta, who we all know. She does Kylie, Kylie Jenner's lips. And she's like, listen, I don't ever give a discount to anybody. I don't care if you're the queen of England. I'm full price. And so I'm curious for people who are, you know, like you, you're already established. What is your perspective there? I know you've got a football team there close by in Boston. I'm sure you have some football wives that you treat and other people. How do you go with influencers and like building your brand through the influencer channel or to the celebrity channel? And staying, again, profitable and not giving away the house to get in big names that you can, you know, put on Instagram. Yeah, I've never, first of all, I'm not that excited about celebrities. I mean, so far I haven't been. Um, We have an enormous amount of sports people that come to us. Um, Celtics wives. uh, We have had a Celtics player who's no longer on the Celtics. Um, we've had Bruins players. We've had Patriots player and wives. Um, but I don't treat them any differently. I mean, my staff are a little bit heartthrobby when they come in and um, they, <laughs> they go nuts. But I've never treated them differently. The one thing I did, um, I had never had the experience where I had to treat someone in their home before. Um, home being a beautiful suite at the Four Seasons. Um, so um, we got a call that this person wanted a facial and um, I had never priced a let's all go together and bring our facial machines and whatnot. So, you know, but I priced it. I'm this travel time. Um, what I did, hoping that that would maybe lead to some um, Instagram fame is package our skincare for this person and gave a little gift of our skincare. But I've never, I I think um, we do two sales a year. We do one for Black Friday and we do one in the summer. Um, We started, again, this is the trial by trying. Um, We tried it one summer when most of our staff were away and it did incredible. And there's something to say, and I've taught the girls this at Elite, there's something to say for when you as a consumer have purchased something and you have a gift card, 
you're more willing to spend money when you go to that place because it feels free. So I don't have an issue with doing a sale a couple times a year because that's already pre-sold, right? So they're more willing to then buy a product or add on a service. Um, so I've never really discounted the celebs. Maybe I should. Uh, I don't know, but I've never done it. I've never um, looked for um, a barter system with someone to, as a patient, to come in for um, some celebrity. Um, we haven't needed to, and the truth is, I think it. I think you should stand by your service, and I don't know that it's necessary. Well, to me, it, just, it seems opposite. Who can afford to pay for it? A celebrity. Like of all the, it's like all the free things you get when you're, you know, in fashion. Of all the people who could afford it, the celebrity can afford it. Not that, not the everyman. But no, it was just a, it was a cool, a cool conversation in the weekend because she was like, I don't give away anything for free. If you come to me, you're going to pay full price. And my brand is growing, so why would I, why would I change that? And there was a big debate about it, like influencers and Instagram content, and you know, I don't know. I don't know if I, that I have an, an answer either way, except for you do you and if it's full price it's full price right like that's that's just what it cost so i think it's a great idea and i love the idea that you do a sell with gift cards i believe in that so much that they've already paid for it. it's a sunk cost everything else now is free and kind of timing it around when your tax bill is due or when things are due that you need to have a big cash influx then have a sale get the money in pre-sale so i think that's a genius idea as well but to that point just thinking about your staff coming in just give us a quick idea of how you how you recruit and how you hire and onboard um, I have to say the hardest thing for me beyond the numbers and finances, which I do not enjoy, but it is part of what we have to do is HR. I think it's really hard. Um, it's hard because I am so emotional and I'm very, um, I really care about my staff. Um, and you have to separate yourself somewhat. You know, you are, you can't be a leader and a friend, but you can be friendly as a leader. <laughs> And that was a, that's hard for me to learn. You know, people have gone through some really difficult times and I want to be a friend, but I also am running a business. So I think um, I, again, made a mistake, definitely hired somebody that shouldn't, I shouldn't have hired. And um, I got, I fired this person within three months um, because it was a mistake. It just, it wasn't a good fit. And I think just like anything, it's all about the fit, right? Um I, if somebody doesn't, you know, care about combing their hair and putting it back and looking a certain way in an aesthetic industry and is coming in late or, you know, it's just, it's not a good fit, move on. Um, people that aren't trustworthy and we've been so lucky. I mean, my patient care coordinator has been with me after three months of opening has still, is still with me. And she is by far the most trustworthy nicest person. She knows every single one of our patients. Um, I just, I, I think we're a family that's, and that is not trite. That is the truth. We are absolutely a family. And I think just treating people really well and also being stern when you need to be like, it's, it is fun to, to work here, but then we have to stop having fun and work. So um, it's hard. I definitely think HR is a really tough thing. Um, we have a fantastic office manager who, again, has been with me for now seven years. Um, I put a lot on her because I think having that separation is really helpful. Um, people feel more comfortable maybe talking to her about little complaints between the girls and things that happen because that's life when you work with women. And as a gynecologist, I'm always working with women. Um, so yeah, just separation is, I think, important. 
Um, but we get we get um, resumes daily. People want to work here, and I think you have to pick and choose what people fit, what the right fit is. Yeah, there's an influx of people everywhere right now who want to be in injectables um, or or in med spa land. And I think some of them come in already qualified with a Rolodex of patients ready to go. And some are like, hey, teach me. I want to learn. Loaded question. Which one do you prefer? A newbie who you can teach and train or an expert or, you know, or self, self-declared self expert who has already a group of patients coming with them? Um, I prefer the first. And um, maybe not a newbie newbie, but definitely somebody that can understand my general approach. Um, People that are more senior tend to have a harder time learning. Um, I wouldn't say I would put myself in that because I love to learn, but um, people in this industry that have, um, I don't want just your clientele. I like our clientele and I wanna continue to build our clientele. Um, but they had, they're kind of set in their ways a little bit. I like, we have a mentorship program here and I just, you can see somebody immediately that has good hands, but they just need a little bit more exposure to different areas in the face. Um, the, the PA that started with me a year ago had limited experience. And so what I did is I scheduled her on a day where I'm here so that she could always come in and see what I was doing and I can pop in and help her. Because one thing that happens in this industry, which is kind of sad is we all just get into our own groove and we do things our way. And we don't, you don't inject with someone else in the room often. And as a surgeon, we always had to operate with another surgeon across the table. And it didn't matter if they were junior or senior, it was just an extra person if you needed them. And I really love that because you would learn. You always, even when I do a teaching for brand new people, I learn from some things that they notice that I wouldn't notice um, or language they use that may be different. So I actually prefer a little bit more of the mentorship, um, not in a controlling way, but more so just, you know, I'm good at what I do and I'd like them to see my vision. Um, That's not to say if somebody wasn't the right fit and was more senior that I wouldn't entertain that idea, but I think someone kind of a little bit in between is perfect. I think you're the first person in 45 episodes who's ever said, I like my clientele. I want to keep my clientele. I think people get really confused about, you know, hiring in someone else's Rolodex and your patients are kind of your, again, your vibe, right? You've attracted people who are like you, your, your vibe attracts your tribe, as they say. And so I think bringing in another person is like Russian roulette of like, who are their patients? Are they pains in the ass? Is it going to hurt the front desk? Is it going to hurt the patient care coordinator? Like you have no idea what you're buying, right? Kind of sight unseen. So I think that's a great, um, just a great philosophy of like, I have my own and I like who I've brought in, but you know, kind of second to that, thinking about people coming into your practice and, you know, learning from you, you're yourself a big learner as well, as you said. I know that we went to MCAS together in Paris. You just went to a Canadian event um, not long ago. You're going to, to Beauty Through Science, I think, in two weekends. So how often are you getting trained yourself so that you can stay abreast of the newest, latest, most innovative, you know, techniques? Well, it's funny because I'm going to BTS in um next week already in New York. And then um, I'm actually going to go do a one-on-one with Dr. Reynolds, who is Charles Reynolds is the um, pioneer of the O-Shot and P-Shot. And prior to opening Elite Academy for Sexual Wellness, I want to learn from him as he is the pioneer. 
Now, there was a part of me that was like, wait, I'm a gynecologist and I'm going to go learn from an internist how to inject the vagina. And I've been injecting the vagina for, well, forever, but also doing O shots for already five years. But I just want those pearls. You know, if I'm going to open my own academy, then I want to be elevated. And I think that's what education is all about. What, what is scary about these things is the sticker price, right? The first time I looked at a conference, I was thinking, you know, when you go to an OB conference, it's maybe $500, but these are thousands of dollars. But I think what it boils down to is you get that back a hundredfold. And I think education is so great. I mean, I wouldn't have met you if I didn't go to conferences. So I do think it's great for peer building relationships. Um, you learn so much more than just injection and anatomy. You know, I always need the refresher. I love anatomy. Um, but you learn so much more. You learn about marketing and business building. Um, and I just think it's part of our field. And um, I try to, you know, my kids are a little older now, so there's not as much going on at home. Um, so I feel like I have a little more freedom. And also our med spa is just running on its own with, I have my own injectors now. Every time I left previously, I would feel like I was losing business. Um, but now that's a well-oiled machine. So I think um, probably once a quarter for sure i'd like to go to a conference and they're always in fantastic places they always have incredible events um networking is bar none my favorite part um but i try to go you know i would say four to six a year wow that's okay four to six is a lot of money that's to your point it's an investment but i do think you're also the people that you attract there that you network with there and like the business associates that you make, those are the parts for me that even if you become a better injector, which we hope that you do, right? It's like next, you become a better injector, that you learn new skills, new techniques, but who you connect with is like invaluable, whether it's industry or fellow colleagues. So, you know, I have folks who say, you know, say to me all the time, okay, oh, I'm really good at my job. Like, I'm a great injector. I don't need to go to a conference. Like, but you're missing the whole point of the conference. It's not just about your technique, but you know, I could talk about that all day long, but Thinking about you as a person, as a human and not not as an injector or a physician, you have a husband of, you know, many, many years. You have three boys. You've also been through breast cancer and survived it. I want to know, like, our show is about surviving here in aesthetics. And how do you keep all your shit together to do all those things as a person, despite a busy clinic schedule, growing, developing? Like, let's start first with just your marriage. How do you keep your marriage together in the middle of all this chaos? Um, how much time do you have? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's hard. Listen, being married's hard. You know, like I said, I was raised by a single parent. I didn't have a great um, role model for being married for 20 years. We'd work it out. You know, we, I mean, if we need to go to couples therapy, we'll go to couples therapy. If we need some alone time, we'll do it. But um, we are really, really good partners. Um, you know, it's hard to run a house of three boys and life. And I think for me, that's the most important. Um, you know, two minutes before the podcast, I got a text, kill it on the podcast, like just, just being there for each other. Um, and I think the friendship is the most important part. The romance goes like this throughout a 20 year marriage, um, and life and stress. And, um, our kids are everything to both of us. Um, so I think, listen, it's a work in progress. It's, it's not, it's not like, oh, it's perfect. It's great. It's, it's hard. And we work at it. And I think that's the key is that you just don't give up. Um, 
being married is important to both of us. So we keep trying to work at it. Man, I wish I, I got to say, though, I wish I wish I could have gone back to my 25 year old self and said, hey, here's what marriage is about. Like, here's what this is supposed to be about. The friendship, the companionship, all these things that we talk about now. You know, at 40, I have a much different perspective than I had at 25 or 20. Like, gosh, they should tell you all that stuff. Like, don't watch a Disney movie, guys. Whatever you do, don't let your little girls watch Disney movies. It's not real. Teach them about about having, like, it's almost like a business partnership in some ways, right? Raising kids, raising yourself, frankly. You know, I need an adult babysitter all the time to keep up with my life. But I think that you talk about your husband in such a way that I can feel that you have a great partnership with him, that you are a um, a, a a twofer, twosome, who's just like out to tackle the world and take care of your boys and your life. And so I really believe that what everything you just said is like how you operate. But now to boys, because taking that husband into account, but then also three teenage boys, how do you survive that? Because I feel like they, you're busy with hockey. Like your, your boys are like really good at hockey. How do you stay abreast of, um, well, how do you stay sane, frankly? Um, it's so much easier than it used to be. So if you asked me that when they were little, I'd probably say, I have no idea. I'm on drugs or something <laughs> because we had three under three. So we had twins. And then two years later, we had another one. Um, I, I don't know. I, that I couldn't imagine it was just me and my mom and that's it. I have no siblings. So for me, the first time I heard I was having a boy, I was like, I don't even know what I'm going to do. Um, but you know, I talk a lot about, or feel a lot that I'm talking to you about today about the evolution of kind of where I've come from and what I've done. And, um, I don't feel as though anything defines me as much as being a mother. So I don't, I don't want, you know, me, I don't walk in, I'm a doctor, not a doctor, you know, like I, I just, that doesn't define me being a gynecologist doesn't define me being a businesswoman doesn't define me, but being a mother truly defines me. I mean, it is the coolest thing ever. Um, I love this new phase, even though it was really hard to transition, there should be a lot of therapy for when your kids stop wanting to hug you and kiss you and tell you how great you are and all the things that are, you know, build up your ego. Um, it's hard, but they're like really cool kids. Like they're just amazing to be around. Um, they're little adults and, um, they, and they don't need me like they used to. So it's, it's the transition is really learning how to manage while they don't need you, which is probably why I'm going to more conferences and doing things. It was really hard when I was an OB and I would spend the night in the hospital, I would be crying. I miss my baby so much just from one night. Um, and you know, I'd never traveled when they were little. Like I just, I just, ugh, I ate them up. I love mummy time. And now it's very different. You know, I've got two driving and one around the corner from driving. Um, both will be in college before you know it. So it's, it's not hard in terms of busyness. Um, I like to go to their games. They drive themselves to their games. We take a separate car and we go to their games. You know, I, I love it. It's just, um, they're just really, really fun to be around because they truly are little adults now. <laughs> Well, I think that you're a very active, very involved mom. Like people who know you talk about your kids when they talk about you, right? Because you talk about your kids a lot. Um, and I, you are a boy mom. I hate to tell you, sister, but you would have not done girls. You are a boy mom. I am as well, <laughs> through and through. I mentioned last night to you, or yesterday morning, I guess, I'm going to go skating with Christian. Like, wear padded pants. <laughs> you're going to fall on your butt. <laughs> Give me hockey mom um, information so that when I go skate with them, I'm, you know, can, can stay alive. Which, by the way, I only fell one time in two hours. So, Side note from me, did good. But 
you know, lastly, thinking about your evolution, and I don't want to dwell on this because obviously it's been a while, but you have gone through breast cancer. You've survived that. You've kicked, you know, kicked cancer's ass like you do all things in life, and you've evolved from that too. So I'm curious more of your perspective of having gone through a thing like that. How did you change your mindset about what you're willing to do, to tackle, to fail? Like, did it shape your perspective in a different way prior to that diagnosis? Yeah, I really do think it did. Um, and I'm always happy to have any conversation with anyone. I, I do a lot of, um, you know, text me and ask me questions. I've had a double mastectomy. Um, I've had chemo. I've gone through it all. My kids were five. My twins were five and my youngest was three at the time. So a little bit of a blur because they were so young. Um, but what it really did, Tiffany, is kind of what has happened through COVID for a lot of people, granted that they didn't have to get sick, but it sharpens the aperture of your life in terms of your life as a camera, where I really try my hardest not to dwell on things that don't work. I know that's a constant theme of this podcast, but um, also friendships that don't work or people that aren't the right people for me. Um, not to say that I'll just drop somebody, but it's like, it's just time is so limited. And, you know, I, I lost my mother in a very sad way. Um, like I said, we were so incredibly close and she, after a hip replacement, had a blood clot that went to her lung and healthy 70 year old, like soup. And it's just, if that, if cancer wasn't enough, that tells you too, you know, you can drop dead tomorrow and not to make this all really sad and negative, but I lived to the fullest. Like I, um, I ballroom dance and I still I dance my whole life. So I still do that. And I do little fun competitions and I go to my boys games and I travel when I can and I enjoy as much as I can. And I just try to keep that in perspective that life is really short. Um, and we don't have a lot of control over, you know, nobody thought your business was going to close for three months and you'd have to keep these people employed and, you know, you couldn't leave the house or all those things. So it, it doesn't have to be cancer, but I do think that it really did change my perspective on, I'm not waiting to do that. We, um, in August, I took the kids to Africa and it has been a bucket list trip for me forever, but my kids fought too much when they were little, they would like be punching each other in the safari. So that wouldn't have worked. And um, I said to them, that's it. I'm not waiting before you go to college. I want to do this trip. And, you know, there's a little hemming and hawing and um, there's not enough ice time if I go to Africa for two weeks and whatnot. But um, I just don't wait for those those things and decisions and life changes. It's like, do it now because you don't know when you have the chance to do it. Well, I think that's great advice. Like whether it's COVID, cancer, whatever it is, like that moment in the sand of you're like, I've got to change my mind about this. But you taught me something. You probably don't even know that you taught me this, but I grew up in a home where you just did things because you should. Like you weren't ever given a choice. Like mental health was not a thing. It wasn't talked about. It wasn't real. And we were together one day and you said something like, you know what? I just don't need that in my life. Like I'm old enough and grown enough to say that I'm not choosing that for me. I'm going to let it go and not go and just not do it. And it was like the first time in my entire life that I had permission to say to someone, like, I don't have to have that. Like, I know I should go because it's the right thing to do, maybe. But is it? It's not the right thing for me to do. It's the right thing for them for me to go. And so, like, over the time of us knowing each other from Paris until now, like, I've learned that from watching you. You're just like, if it's not good for my health, my mental health, my physical health, I'm not going to go do it. Like, I can just say no and protect me. 
And so I think we've talked about our parents a little bit and kind of our similar upbringings and things. And so I learned that from you. You taught me that lesson. So I appreciate that very, very much because I can now just say no. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing is, you know, I wouldn't want to hurt people in the, in the process, but also trying to find that voice where you're, you're trying to figure out, are you doing it for someone else? Or, you know, sometimes you have to go to a wedding for someone else, or that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when you put yourself at risk and it's really something that doesn't feel right for you. Don't do it. Oh yeah. Weddings and funerals, you got to do it. I mean, my gosh, you got to go to the funerals, you got to go to the weddings, but everything else, right. I feel like you, birth and death, you know, yes, but anything else you can just kind of choose what you want to do. But I think that's a great lesson. And even hearing about your business, like, I try, it doesn't work. I move on. I don't dwell. I, you know, I don't have a plan. I kind of let, let the world evolve as I'm evolving. I just think it's a great way to carpe diem in your life and just, you know, hold it by the reins and let it go where it goes. So I, I love how you live your life. I love how you show up to people. What a great friend you are. You're a great aesthetic injector. So you got a lot of good things going on for you. But what happens next? Like what's the next four to five years look like for you? And will you exit? The burning question, you know, will you have another location or three or four? What's up on the docket? Um, it's interesting because in the last few years, I've had a lot of requests of, of selling. And um, I don't know how I feel about that because I do have, I built this. Like I want the control. So I'm not sure. And, you know, I'm thankful that financially I don't need to sell. There are people that obviously are in that predicament. Um, I Because I haven't planned anything, I don't know. Um <laughs> I do know that I'd like to teach more. And as this is a well-oiled machine now, I'd like to oversee the well-oiled machine. Um, I have stepped away from doing, you know, I was like all day doing Botox forever. And I've kind of raised my prices to try to have my um, nurse and PA to try to get more business that isn't working as well. They still want to see me, even though I raised my price, I'm not sure. Um, but I think it's just not necessary for me to be doing that as much. Um, I do really like the idea of Elite Academy. You know, I'm, I'm branching out. I do better with um, smaller groups. So I think I'd really like to do some mentorship programs, um, even business mentorship programs, um, because I've tried so many different devices. I mean, we've had tons of devices. I'd like the idea of kind of helping people set up, you know, what is the one device you need? Um, doing a continual sponsorship, mentorship program, consultant work. Um, I don't know if I could ever exit completely um, and what that would look like. So I'm going to leave that door open and then see where I am. But I think once my kids are really away, like in college away, I can't imagine not working. I think I would go a little crazy. Oh, you're going to have more jobs than you know what to do with when your kids go away because they keep you so busy. But I think the academy idea, the Elite Academy, is where the business part of it, what you said about business, is what's missing everywhere I go now. I always try to say to people, if you're going to have a conference, you have to have a business arm. You have to have a business session, consulting session, something about business because being a great injector is no longer enough. There are many, many, many great, phenomenal, incredible injectors who go bankrupt every day or who can't make their loan payment on their device. Or I get all the UCC filings and they say, we're bringing a lien against their business for AR because they want their, you know, all their um, accounts receivable money coming in. I see all that stuff. And I know that people who are really good at injecting don't survive. So I think the business part of it is incredibly important to learn. Um, you can be an okay injector and be great at business and win. As opposed to being a great injector and okay at business, you will not win nearly as fast because it costs money to win in this industry. So 
that is my soapbox. I usually try to get off my soapbox. I'm, I'm on one now. Get me off of here. <laughs> no, but I think you're really right because if someone, when, you know, I've been doing this for a decade now. So when Instagram became Instagram, I, it was so overwhelming. I mean, someone my age to just like jump on and be on Instagram. And my kids are like, why are you on TikTok? And I'm like, I don't know, because I'm supposed to be doing this. Like, I think we see there's so much marketing at all these conferences because it's so much part of our field, but there should be some business information on, you know, and I know Leslie Tracy is doing a great job with thinking about retirement and that part of the business, but also is like, how much space do you really need? And why don't you start small? And we were stepping over each other within three months. We ran out of space. Good problem to have. Hold on to that for a few years. Don't jump and then buy. Or, you know, if, if I had the opportunity to buy, that would have been a way better decision. Um, but there was no opportunity where I am. But just, I think business is, it, it's hard. It really is. And if you're not a natural at it, then having a little bit more of a recipe on how to follow certain methods, what devices um, would be really, really helpful. Yeah. Well, that's your job. You got to start that now. Start an elite business Academy for us. I'll come, I'll come take a class. I'd love to hear it. I'd love to hear it from your perspective too. I don't own a practice, right? I'm in them every day consulting with people every, you know, every day, but I'm not actually in a practice. So hearing it from you guys who do it all the time is a much different context than me hearing it on the backside. So I think you should, that is your next big thing. Give us one of those. But for the record, you have been a fantastic guest today. And I've been waiting for you to come on for three seasons and you're finally here, which is wonderful. Um, you know, I just, again, think the world of you and think what you have to offer. I think the sexual wellness part of it is you are leading the charge for that. You'll be at AN5, I hope, next year to talk about it even more. And you'll be having classes in the meantime. So tell us how to find you. If they want to come learn from you in Boston, how do we find your information? Well, thank you, first of all, for having me, because, you know, I love you so much and I can't wait to see you soon. Um, so you can find me on, we'll start with the website, which is myelitemedspa.com. And we do have a link there for Elite Academy. Uh, my Instagram is at Dr. Joelle Lehman. And then our Elite Instagram is at myelitemedspa. Um, there will be that new Instagram, which is at the sexual wellness doc. Um, and like I said, content pending, I'm going to start that after I do um, that little session with Dr. Runnels, but probably in January. Protect the boys from all the sexual content. I like that. It's a good, Christian's like, mom, you have butts all over your phone. I'm like, yeah, I've been looking at sculpture injections and preparing lectures. Like, yeah, there are butts everywhere. There's butts, there's boobs. It's like, I'm like a porn den over here, but it's because, it's because it's what we do. We just inject. So I know. I understand. I understand fully that that's our industry and like, you know, I get it. We feel like Britney Spears kids, right? You have to protect them from the internet. But anywho, all that to say, I'll see you hopefully in New York in a, in a week or so. And then it'll be the holidays and I'll see you again, I'm hoping very soon in, in Q1 or Q2, at one of your many conferences that you attend. But for sure, we will see you in September at Aesthetic Next. Promise me that. Promise. Okay. You know what we should do at Aesthetic Next? We should have, if you think it would be worthwhile, um, we should have an injection like an O-shot, P-shot injection. We definitely should. I love it. Okay, mark that down. We're doing it. We're going to have a whole different clinical track this year for non-face. So it'd be a perfect place to put that. Well, and and you guys, if you don't know, her non-surgical labioplasties are incredible. She can take a vagina and make it from three kids to back to pristine 18-year-old version again. I don't know how you do it. It's like wizardry, but you can. So if you're looking for that procedure to be done, go see her in Boston. She's fantastic at it. 
my shameless plug for you. But all that to say, we'll see you guys again next week for episode six. Dr. Lehman, thank you again for coming on. And I cannot wait to see your beautiful face very soon. Thank you, Tiffany. We'll see you guys all next week. Thanks for listening to another episode of For the Record. This podcast is not intended to provide legal or medical advice. It's for entertainment, education, and information purposes only. For more information on this week's guest or to get started with Aesthetic Record, email us at info at aestheticrecord.com. Be sure to tune in next week for more fresh perspectives on disrupting the status quo and surviving in the aesthetics industry.